All right, everyone. Welcome to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast with Andrew Drozdak and Thomas Bowen. This is a podcast for slightly above average football fans, slightly below average football fans that want to learn more about the game. And if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody. Here we are for episode eight of the third season of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. My name is Andrew Drozdak, and I am going to be your only host today because Thomas is on vacation, so I'm flying solo tonight. But we had so much important football to talk about and some important news to share that we could not broadcast tonight. We are excited to announce our new partnership with Better Edge. Better Edge is the premier no-fee social betting marketplace. Better Edge allows users to create their own prices and lines for sports betting positions in 45 states, most importantly in South Carolina, that are often better than you can find anywhere else. Use the code AVERAGE to at sign up to get $20 in your wallet when you verify your account just for listening to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. Visit betteredge.com slash average to get started today. That's B-E-T-T-O-R-E-D-G-E dot com slash average. So we're excited about that new opportunity. If you are someone who likes to do a little bit of sports betting, this is a great opportunity to get $20 in your wallet just for being one of our listeners. With that all being said, we're going to jump right into the meat of our show today, starting off with the South Carolina Gamecocks traveling to to Lexington on Saturday to play the Kentucky Wildcats. In the past two games, South Carolina has proven that they have the ability to establish the run and attack the edges, particularly with the counter play and attack the middle, particularly with the inside zone, and have shown a mastery or at least a close to mastery of the short to intermediate passing game, particularly quick outs, quick swings, wide receiver screens. In the game against South Carolina State, they did uh, use more vertical passing than they had used the previous week. But there were somewhat mixed results. Unfortunately, there were some dropped balls that turned into interceptions that will show up in the stat book as interceptions for Spencer Radler, which really most people would probably say weren't his fault. So the thing about that is, as we come into a game against the Kentucky Wildcats, who are currently a ranked team, I believe they are ranked, I think they are eighth or ninth maybe, uh, in the country at the moment, and you're going to have to have a counter punch. So what do I mean by that? Well, they've got a counter these plays. So we've had success with the inside zone. What's your counter off of that? Is it a play action or an RPO look to when those linebackers try to stuff that play in the middle that you can throw behind them in the open space created when they step forward? On the counter play, the counter run play, you've got to have something that matches with that. So on a counter play, your running back is going to start at the snap of the ball heading in a certain direction, let's say to the right. But What's going to happen at the same time is two offensive linemen or an offensive lineman and a tight end or maybe even just one lineman are going to pull across the formation to block back to the left side. The idea being that the linebackers are going to be taught to watch that line, that running back step across to the right. They're going to step to the right, setting themselves up for this counter block as these the guard and the tackle or the guard and a tight end or maybe just the guard, maybe just the tackle, maybe just tight end come across and hit them with the counter. 
If you do not have something off of that in a run play, they're just going to follow the pulling linemen or pulling linemen and tight end. We saw this a little bit last week with South Carolina State. South Carolina is going to have to be able to establish another run play to counter that. So if that is a pin and pull sweep to one side, or if it is the outside zone, you know, ultimately South Carolina is attempting to use the Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan style of offense that is really based on the outside zone. We're going to talk about the fact that Kentucky's offense actually uses a similar scheme. And the goal there is to create flow to one side and then hit them back with another play to the other side. Originally in the 90s with Kyle Shanahan's dad, Mike Shanahan, when he was the head coach of the Denver Broncos, he would use a bootleg action off of that with John Elway at quarterback and throw a pass to the backside when those linebackers were starting to overflow. So the South Carolina Gamecocks are going to have to find a way to do that. One thing they can do is run that fake outside zone or fake counter with a slant where linebackers have vacated an area to flow to one side so let's say you're running the outside zone right that backside left linebacker or the will linebacker starts to flow with the action and when he does that the quarterback pulls the ball and throws it to a slant on a slot wide receiver so Again, that can be an RPO action. That can be a read by Spencer Radler. He's literally watching one player on the football field. If the will linebacker flows to the right on the right outside run play, then he's going to pull that ball and he's going to throw it to the slant on the left side. If he sits or if he drops into his pass zone, he doesn't react. He's going to give that ball and let that be a run. So you got to have that counteraction. Rattler seems to be more comfortable throwing out breaking routes. So routes that are to the hash from the hash to the sideline. He seems to be, if that's a vertical route, if that's an outbreaker or a comeback route, that seems to be where he feels more comfortable. Even on a play that initially is a receiver or a tight end coming across the formation on what's known as Y cross, a air raid staple where a slot wide receiver or a tight end would be lined up on the right side and he's going to have a vertical stem of say eight to 10 yards and then take a 45 angle 45 degree angle to the left and start moving across that hash if the safety runs with him you're going to throw something underneath if he sits you're going to throw it to him again Radler seems to be most comfortable throwing those out routes let him throw those but stop letting it only be those short throws again the outbreaking the the wide receiver screen the quick throw the pop pass or the swing route to a running back those are great plays to get great athletes in space but when the dbs like south carolina state started to adjust come forward and crowd the line of scrimmage you've got to have again a counter punch off that that is a step and go so you might fake the quick out and then he's going to take a vertical stem and you drop it in like a fade so south carolina's offense is going to have to be able to establish that kentucky had its most trouble in its game against Ole Miss, which it lost last week, when Ole Miss ran tempo. They were running quickly. They were moving fast. They were going no huddle. And a big key was that they were not subbing players in. A few years ago, college football made a rule that if an offensive player gets subbed into the game, even if there's no huddle, the defense has to have an opportunity to sub. Nick Saban was actually the one who really kind of led that charge for defenses, saying it was an unfair advantage. So, 
what you've got to be able to do is not only play fast, but you've got to put large chunks of plays together where you're not subbing guys out to, to really take advantage of what seemed to be a weakness for Kentucky. So, you know, we have all heard Marcus Satterfield likes to script his plays. Have a group of five plays that you don't call in order, one through five, but they're five plays that everybody on the team has memorized. You don't call them one through five because that's going to be easy to pick up. You can call them anything you want that is a quick signal to your team, usually a one-word action or maybe some kind of a color or something like that that shows the team, hey, we're running this play, get up to the line of scrimmage, go. Now, you may see this more in the college, excuse me, in the pro game where you have a quarterback pointing at his helmet and he'll say, alert, alert alert that's when you have in the huddle you've called a second play so they're saying hey alert we're going with the second play it's the better play against this defense but in a no huddle situation it can be hey we have play a lined up but actually we have something directly off it for play b could be going in the opposite direction could be that we're hey we're, we came out to run the outside zone to the right but the way they have it set up they're they're slanting to the right they're overloading the right we're going to head and go ahead and hit them back on that counter so we all know that if we call with a color or a number or a word we call outside zone right we start hearing the quarterback say alert 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 that means we're going to counter it back to the left because we feel like that's a better option so going to have to in my opinion play quick and the biggest key is not having to sub players out one of the players that you don't think about subbing out a lot or most fans don't are offensive linemen you know you, you see those five offensive linemen in there you don't think they come off the field very often but often they do it's just that you're not as an average casual fan watching the offensive line as much but if you notice you're going to see for two or three plays a guy's going to come out could be an equipment issue could be to catch his breath could be he's got a little tweaked uh, injury or something that he needs to get taped or something like that going to have to keep those five out there along with the the skill players the only only issue I have or concern I have with that is Dylan Wadham is coming back to play right tackle this week. He's been injured the past two weeks. I thought Wanamaker, Tyshawn Wanamaker, did a, a good job as an offensive lineman in the past two games. He still does struggle with the outside pass rush, the edge rushers, which is why I think he is a better suited player to play interior offensive line, a guard position in particular. He's a very good run blocker in golf skies and, and really moves him off the line of scrimmage, which is something our guards have had trouble with at times. So I, I don't understand. Uh, a reluctance to move him inside other than the fact that he probably hasn't a chance to, to train up on it as they say but I mean that to me is you can build that into practice so that's a confusion I have there all right we're going to switch to the Carolina defense typically Thomas would give us his input here but I'm gonna do my best to fill in for him today obviously I won't do as well as he usually does there is potential that Will Levis will not play in this game Saturday. There seems to be a lot of chatter on the internet, on social media, among media of the normal kind or the typical kind, that he is going to be out. The reasoning has been several different things given turf toe, an ankle injury, a wrist injury. He did hurt his hand, his non-throwing hand, dislocated a finger in the game against Ole Miss, took a lot of hard shots. There's been some speculation he may be in concussion protocol. Either way, when he was thought to be healthy, this line was 10 and a half points. Kentucky was a home favorite at 10 and a half points, but now that he's out, most Las Vegas casinos that are taking gambling on this game have dropped that line to six. So as Thomas and I say a lot, 
Vegas knows what they're doing. They're smart. So if they're dropping that line to six, they either don't think he's playing or don't think he's going to be nearly as effective with injury. But he has been who is driving this ship. So if he's out, South Carolina is going to have to be ready for a heavy dose of Chris Rodriguez, their star running back, Kentucky, that they got back last week against Old Miss from suspension. He had some bright moments, but overall the, the Kentucky rush offense was not great against the Rebels. I wouldn't be shocked if you see him in some wildcat type situations. The backup quarterback for Kentucky is a freshman. He has never thrown a pass in college football. I could see if he is the starter or if he has to play a large chunk of this game that they are going to look to their run game to keep him comfortable and not ask him to win the game. But it's a situation, we always hear this in football, game manage. Just don't make mistakes. So that was something you have to be prepared for as the South Carolina defense. But all of that to be said, you've got to make sure that as South Carolina is on defense, particularly at the linebacker position, you cannot be so committed to stopping the run game that you become more susceptible to the play action pass. Liam Cohen, the offensive coordinator for the Wildcats last season, is now the offensive coordinator for the Rams. He is replaced by Rich, I think, and Thomas isn't here to help me with this. Uh, Sakana Rio uh, is the offensive coordinator. He still comes from the uh, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay school of offense, basing it around that outside zone look with a play action or RPO to balance that out. Uh, Liam Cohen was a, a proponent of that offense as well. That's why he's with the, the LA Rams now. So this is something that South Carolina should be very familiar with this offense. It's an offense they probably saw a good bit of in the spring and in the summer because it's a very similar variation of what they run. The idea of this is to make it easy for the quarterback. One area I feel like to switch back to South Carolina's offense for a moment that we see struggles from in South Carolina's offense is a lot of this is based off you're going to run, as I said, the outside zone or a counter play or a pin and pull sweep to the right side, and then you're going to set that up to be a Take off of that for the quarterback to bootleg to the left or sprint out to the left or have an RPO option to the left to make the defense pay when the linebackers in particular flow to where they think the ball's going and leave a gap unattained on the backside. This is something that I have not been thrilled with from South Carolina. Will Levis had had success with it against Ole Miss, but I will say the biggest thing that he had issues with was when he was rushed. He had a lot of trouble. He had two fumbles, I believe. Uh, one was key at the end of the game to seal the game for Ole Miss. Of course, he had the safety where he held the ball for a very long time in Kentucky's own end zone. So if he is in the game, particularly if he is going to be a little banged up and maybe a little less mobile, if it is an ankle or a foot injury, they have got to be able, they being South Carolina, to get pressure on him, and it needs to be with no more than five rushers. You've got to be able to drop six or seven guys into coverage if Will Levis is in there. He's going to be looking to throw the football, and he is has the arm talent to make big throws. I, I, did, I wasn't super impressed with his accuracy at times against Ole Miss, but he certainly has the arm talent to do it. Like I said, this offense, Kentucky's offense, is designed to be based off of the 
outside zone or an outside attack to an edge with RPOs or play actions off it. Here's the thing that's kind of slowed down Kentucky, Kentucky's offense, just like South Carolina's. Kentucky right now is 14th in the SEC in rushing yards per game. That's not going to get the job done. And also, Conversely, South Carolina is 11th. Again, a low number. You can't be in that bottom third and rush if you want to use the play action or RPO pass to be a big part of opening up your passing game. But even with those struggles, Kentucky's currently fourth in the league in passing and South Carolina is sixth in yardage. Of course, you know, we South Carolina has played UNC Charlotte and South Carolina State scored 50 points apiece in each of those games or more and had a lot of success on offense. So those stats look a little bit different against SEC opponents like Arkansas and Georgia. But we don't know that Kentucky's defense, they haven't shown that they are just completely, completely uh, dominant, or they haven't even been as good of defense as they have had in the past. So, we, in order for South Car- for Kentucky's offense to have success, they are going to have to try and get the ball to Travian Robinson, who is their leading wide receiver with 365 yards and three touchdowns on the year. That's going to have to be someone South Carolina's defense is very aware of. They are getting some big time help back in Rush. Darius Rush is returning. You already have Cam Smith back. These are guys that are going to have to know where he, where Robinson is on the field at all times. If I had to give an overall outlook or final outlook on this game, first of all, I'd take the under. I don't expect a whole lot of points in this game solely because if Levis is hurt, he may not be as effective. If they have a backup in, he may that backup may struggle. Although if you're a South Carolina football fan, you know you have seen South Carolina make some first-time starters look extremely talented when they weren't actually that great. So that's got to make you a little bit nervous. But overall, I would say I take the under on this game. Kentucky, if you got it at 10.5 and, and you didn't think they were going to cover that and you bet South Carolina, you're in good shape there. It's dropped to six. I still have to be honest with you, South Carolina's offense has not shown enough to me to say that I think they cover or win this game. Uh, unfortunately, everybody knows who listens to this show, I'm a Gamecock fan. But if I'm being as unbiased as I can and being honest, the Gamecocks have not shown enough this season on offense and they have too many injuries on defense for me to think they're going to go into Lexington and pull this upset. But if you are looking to put some action on this game, betting the under would be the way I go. All right, switching gears to the Clemson Tigers game against BC. They are traveling to BC uh, to play this game. Clemson's offense last week against NC State looked, again, to be very effective. It was really uh, found its stride again. However, it was a switch back to a shorter passing attack. I'm not sure if that was by design or if DJU was just taking the shorter passes more often in this game. But either way, he was able to complete 21 of, I believe, 30 passes to eight different receivers. Also, on the season, he's got 11 touchdowns to one interception. Much better ratio than he had last year as a starter. The Clemson fans and coaches and team and everybody involved with that program have to be very happy with how he has looked. He looked very good running the football. This may have been one of his best games running the football. Scored two rushing touchdowns to go along with a good passing night. Ultimately, he played like the way they would want to see him play. Will Shipley was effective. Clemson's wide receivers were able to get open. Their offensive line did not allow a single sack to NC State. We talked about how that was going to be a key to that game. Uh, Clemson did not allow a single sack. Only three pressures. BC's defense is currently ranked 8th in the ACC in passing yards allowed and 10th in rushing yards allowed. 
based on those numbers alone, I don't think Clemson's offense is going to have a whole lot of trouble, to be honest with you. I think they're going to continue to roll. They have been operating at their highest level in some time, and I think it's going to continue with what they've seen against Wake, NC State, and now BC. Clemson's defense, which has long been its most effective unit right now in the passing game is ranked last in yards allowed in the ACC. Hard to imagine, hard to think about that with a Clemson defense. They have a, a young se- secondary that has made some mistakes. I believe they've had some injuries as well, but that is something to keep an eye on. But it may not matter because their defensive line is the best in the ACC, if not the country, even with Brian and I'm, uh, Brizel, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. Again, Thomas isn't here to help me. So, uh, I think that's correct. But anyway, he is out again this week with, I believe, a kidney infection. So that is uh, something I hope we all hope he can recover from and, and get back to playing football, regardless if you're a South Carolina Gamecock fan or not. Their secondary is looking a little bit uh, weak at times. It's definitely their area where they are the most likely to get exposed. But right now, BC's offense has not shown a whole lot of reason. I believe in the past few games, they have given up as many as f- over 15 sacks on their quarterback, Phil Jerkovic. And he has been sacked several times. So this is going to be an issue. I know it's more, it's in the teens. So if this offensive line has not been able to block for him against the teams they have played so far, I'm not sure they can do it against the Clemson defensive line. Switching to BC's offense now fully. They have a new offensive coordinator, John McNulty, or yep, McNulty. And he has over 30 years of experience coaching in both college and the NFL, most recently at Notre Dame as a tight ends coach. He was brought in to revamp the BC offense, which had been a struggle last season and a few seasons now. Unfortunately for BC, right now they are ranked 10th in passing yards per game, last in rushing yards per game at only 76.6. I'll remind you, Clemson is number one in the ACC defense in stopping the run and 11th in points scored at only 23.4 points a game. But somehow, this team found a way to beat Louisville last weekend despite the quarterback's three interceptions. Let's talk about that quarterback for a second. He is a veteran of college football. He has played several games. He has started at least 21 games in his career as a career passer. He's 61% uh, passer, and he's thrown 34 Career touchdowns versus 15 career interceptions. Not a bad player. This is an offense that's multiple. It's an offense that wants to be pro-style-esque. It's been interesting to watch in college football, particularly for teams that are trying to find new success. Uh, Unfortunately, if you're a Gamecock fan, that is a part of South Carolina's MO right now. They have gone away from trying to be a spread base, which is what most of college is doing or a lot of college is doing, and getting back into uh, 11 personnel, you know, and playing even some under center and two back and things like that is to try and be different. Football is a cyclical game. If the spread is what's beating a whole lot of people, defenses are going to be built to try and beat that spread. So they're going to have smaller, faster linebackers, smaller, faster cornerbacks and safeties to compete with all those wide receivers. So the conventional wisdom, then somebody says, you know what, we're going to line up in a two back and we're going to put a big fullback out there and a big tight end out there. And we're going to block them because they're not as big as they used to be. And eventually uh, some more offenses will have success like that. And eventually the defense will start trying to find bigger linebackers that can stop the run and 
bigger corners that'll step up on that edge to stop the outside run, and then it'll switch back. It's always switching. It's always a game of cat and mouse on college football, high school football, whatever level football you're playing. I do find it interesting that a lot of teams, Kentucky, South Carolina, Boston College, are trying to play a little bit more pro-esque style. They are, you know, there was a time in Alabama when they were playing that type of conservative offense, and you know, that time is gone. They are more spread-based now. They're they're winging it all over the field. Bryce Young, speaking of Alabama, quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner last year, contender this year, uh, injured, injured his shoulder, throwing shoulder in their game last week against Arkansas, could be out again this week, most likely is. That changes their offense with their freshman quarterback who is more of a runner at this time. So switching back, getting back on topic here. I don't have Thomas to keep me online here. Let's talk about BC's top wide receiver, senior number four, Zay Flowers. He is a highly thought of prospect, uh, NFL type player that the Clemson Tigers are going to have to be aware of, find a way to bracket him or do something that is going to shut him down because ultimately he's their best weapon. Uh, I, I honestly think Clemson can get pressure to the quarterback with bringing four, dropping eight, excuse me, dropping seven, and that will make it very, uh, well, not very, but easier for them to be prepared against this team to be able to stop a passing game. So switching to BC's defense, Tim Lukabu is their defensive coordinator. It has been through its 2020. I will tell you, Thomas and I texted back and forth before the show tonight for him to try and give me how to say his last name. I hope I didn't butcher it. Uh, very innovative on defense. Very innovative on defense. You'll see them in a 3-3-5. You'll see them in a 4-2-5. You may even see them in a 2-4-5. So that's, yes, two defensive linemen, four linebackers, and five DBs. Wild stuff. But the ultimate goal that they're trying to do is cause confusion on the offensive line of the other team. Who's coming, who's dropping, who's a blitzer, who's a rusher, who's a pass defender. So you you don't have the ability to sit and see. You'll see pre-snap the quarterback or the center or a combination of both sometimes are pointing out certain players. So on an offensive play, they're pointing out the mic or the middle linebacker to say, hey, he's going to be the guy that's going to be in charge. Or hey, he's going to be the guy that we're going to count our number system off of for blocking. So very interesting attempt there, although they are still struggling on defense as well. They're in the lower third in the ACC and rushing yards allowed and points given up. Uh, this is something that is just going to be difficult for them to overcome. I feel like Clemson, they're a 20 and a half point favorite on this game. I think they roll. I think they score a lot of points. I don't know if it's enough to make the uh, – I don't know if it's enough to make the over, but I can tell you I do think they cover here. The only reason I wouldn't I would be hesitant on the over is I don't know how many points BC is going to be able to put up against this Clemson defense. All right, let's look at some other week six matchups. Usually what we try to do here is look at a 12 o'clock game, a 3:30 game, and a 7:30 game. There's a lot of really, really good 12 o'clock games. A lot of really good 12 o'clock games. So we're gotta uh we're going to look at two of them today as we're talking about our look around college football. Starting off with Tennessee at LSU, both ranked here. Tennessee's uh, showed a lot of offensive prowess this season. The line here is Tennessee minus three on the road as a road favorite. The over-under is 65. This is Tennessee's second major road test of the season. They went to Pitt, beat Pitt in early September in overtime. 
LSU has won four straight, including two over SEC opponents since their opening loss to the Florida State Seminoles. However, I will say one of those opponents, SEC opponents, is an Auburn team that has struggled mightily of late. So don't let that be too much of fool's gold. I still think Tennessee is too talented. Uh, This offense, as much as Thomas and I have maligned it as being gimmicky and and that someone will find it's Achilles' heel, it hasn't happened yet. Hooker has looked great at quarterback. He's getting mentions as a Heisman Trophy candidate. This will be a potential for Tennessee to have a statement game and for him to have his quote-unquote Heisman game, the highlights they'll show on his Heisman reel. I think Tennessee is just too good for LSU. I think they cover the three-point spread very easily. And honestly, I'm going to hit that over because I, I think Tennessee could score the over by themselves. That's how good this offense is, how quickly they score, score points. They score points in bunches. So let's just say I would expect to put a lot of money if I was you on the Vols against LSU. I, I kind of think it's odd that LSU is ranked. Uh, I think that's a little bit of fool's gold. The now listen. I've been to Baton Rouge. I've played in that state, or not? Excuse me. I've watched a game in that stadium, and it is intimidating. It is loud. It is hostile. They now serve beer in that stadium. It's going to be even louder and even more hostile. But I still think Tennessee is going to be the better team here and going to come out pretty well. I, I, I the three point spread again. Vegas seems to always know. I feel like Tennessee's better than that. I feel like Tennessee's better than that. So I would hit the, the – that Tennessee covers that three points and hits the over. Another 12 o'clock game that I'm very interested in is t- TCU, number 17 TCU against number 19 Kansas. Thomas has pointed out to us for the next couple, past couple weeks, is Kansas good? Well, they might be. They're undefeated. College game day is coming to them. TCU, however – as the 17th ranked team is coming in as a seven point favorite. And the over under on this game is 69 tennis. Uh, TCU is coming in off a big win over the Oklahoma Sooners, who by the way, have lost two in a row under new head football coach, Brent Venables, former Clemson defensive coordinator. This has been a tough early season for him as his first year as head coach at Oklahoma, where he was previously defensive coordinator, was highly thought of and highly sought after. Their boosters were excited to get him back. You got to wonder, though, switching to that game, he has a game against Texas this weekend as well on uh, noon, uh, the Red River rivalry or shootout, depending on what you want to call it there. If he loses three in a row, how much trouble is Brent Venables in in Norman, Oklahoma? I don't think they they would get rid of him, obviously, after only one year. But the, the boosters, the fans, the team can't be super happy if that happens. I'm not saying it is. Uh, that rivalry can kind of go either way. If you look at the experts and the predictions, a lot of people are picking Tennessee. A lot of – excuse me, Texas. A lot of people are choosing Texas. Uh, if if they find a way to lose that game, Oklahoma and Brent Venables may be in trouble the rest of the way. So let's switch back to our TCU-Kansas game. TCU offensive coordinator Garrett Riley runs a version of the air raid meshed up with a power running game like his old older brother, his big brother, former Oklahoma head coach and current Southern Cal head coach where he has the Trojans rolling, Lincoln Riley. So what Lincoln did was he took the air raid that was made famous uh, 
first time really the way they did it, spreading it out and flinging it all over the yard, as they say, was how Mummy and Mike Leach in Kentucky, actually, uh, with Tim Couch there. And the thing about the air raid that was seen as a negative was you didn't. if they dropped eight and only rushed three, what are you going to do? They're going to be able to stop you because you don't have a run game. Well, what... Lincoln Riley did. Uh, he originally designed this at ECU uh, when he was offensive coordinator there. Was he meshed it up with the power run game, counter, power, things of that nature to start allowing them to in the red zone or in a third and two or in a situation where they are dropping eight guys and rushing three that they can make you pay for that. So Garrett Riley is running that a version of that offense in TC at TCU as they get ready to face Kansas. The Kansas Jayhawks are undefeated and ranked. They are hosting college game day for the first time on national television uh, at the at on Fox Sports 1, FS1. This is a huge moment for this program in recent history to give them a chance to get back on the map. They have had many, uh, many, many tough years in the past several, and you've got to think their fans, their boosters, the team, the school want to see success here. I really think that that is something that this is a huge moment. Their quarterback has been leading the way for this team. Uh, quarterback Jalen Daniels has been a really effective passer at 68% completion with 11 touchdowns to one interception and a dynamic runner with a 7.3 yards per carry average and scoring five touchdowns on the ground in the year. But this is by far the best defense they're going to face that Kansas has faced all season. I think the Horned Frogs of TCU are going to give the Jayhawks their first loss of the season. I do also think they're going to cover the spread. These, te- these two teams' defenses, however, have given up a lot of points this season. So I, for that reason, I would take the over on this game. Finally, we're going to stay with our Kansas theme here at the 7:30 slot with Kansas State at Iowa State. A lot of road teams are the favorites this week. Kansas State, a very small road favorite at two a uh, two point spread there. Over under here is only 45. This is an interesting game. The state of Kansas, you got to point out here, has been playing some great football this college football season. Kansas State quarterback Adrian Morales who is, or excuse me, Martinez, not Adrian Morales. He played third base for the South Carolina Gamecocks. Adrian Martinez, who's transferred from after four seasons at Nebraska, in the past two games has rushed for over 300 yards and scored seven touchdowns. Iowa's defense is giving up the least amount of rushing yards of any defense in the Big 12 right now. But the Wildcats have two of the top three rushers in the Big 12 with Adrian Martinez, who I previously mentioned, and running back Deuce Vaughn. Iowa State's lost its two its last two games, with the last one coming against the Kansas Jayhawks. I don't see the Cyclones going over for Kansas. I think Iowa State gets the win. I think because both of these teams' defenses are pretty good, uh, that have not given up a whole lot of points. They've given up the fewest points uh, in the Big 12 defensive realm that I would hit the under here. So that's some exciting matchups we have coming up in college football. If you are a college football fan, if you are a fan of football in general and love learning schemes or you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We are the X's and O's show for the Jimmies and the Joes. We also are again excited about our partnership with Better Edge. All right. Remember, you can get $20 in your wallet when you verify your account with that site and use Better's Edge. 
dot com slash average just for listening to the slightly above average football fan podcast that will earn you twenty dollars in your wallet to get started with your account there also you can follow us on social media at at saa football fan at saa football fan on both instagram and twitter if you want to shoot us a email shoot it to us at at excuse me, just saafootballfan at gmail.com, saafootballfan at gmail.com. I hope everybody has a great time watching college football this Saturday and even some this Friday, and you get to enjoy a lot of games and you have some fun with your friends and family. Thomas will be back next week, so you won't have to listen to me fly solo. See you next time.